Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Andrea Dougherty, Interim CIO and Director of IT Security and Infrastructure at Dell Medical School at UT Austin. In this segment, Dougherty speaks with Managing Editor Kate Gamble about how listening and learning helped her navigate the enormous transition to academic medicine. The innovative work her team is doing leveraging AI to automate workflows and improve outcomes. The massive challenge Dell Med faces in competing with tech companies in the Austin area, and how she hopes to recruit more women and people of color into cybersecurity roles. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about what you're doing with the organization and then just talk about some of your career path as well. Yeah. Okay. So just for like a brief history, you've been with the organization about three years. Yeah, just over three years. I joined in uh, December of 2019. Okay. So right before, right mm-hmm. before everything happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I relocated here. My family and I relocated here from Southern California. And so, you know, we I started remotely that first month and then we relocated at the beginning of January. So by the time like we closed on our home here and everything was shipped, like, and we were settled and like ready to explore our new home, everything was shutting down. So, oh, oh man. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll definitely want to get into more of that and how pandemic has changed so much, but you've been in your current role for about a year and a half. Yeah. I've been in my current role for about a year and a half. That's correct. And so as far as your current role right now, like what falls under your your purview? Yeah, absolutely. So I have an interesting role. So when I joined Delmet, I actually joined um, as the director of information security. And I was really brought here, kind of recruited to actually build out a healthcare focused information security program for the medical school and our clinical enterprise, UT Health Austin. Um, since stepping into the CIO role, I've continued those uh, information security duties. So I also have where that effectively the CISO had as well. But in addition to that, as the CIO, I have oversight for the enterprise project management office clinical applications, clinical informatics, um, all of our data intelligence and decision science. So uh, really it's business intelligence, but really that data DevOps, as well as the infrastructure networking security. And then uh, lastly, instructional technology, which is really focused on the technology needed for our faculty and students. Okay. So certainly a lot there, Yeah, Um, but you you are in pretty much the, the CISO role. Correct. Yeah. So I kind of have that dual role. Yeah. Okay. So when I um, ask about what are some of the really core objectives on your plate, I imagine that cyber is obviously a huge part of that. Yeah. You know, cyber, I think, is at the forefront of everything that we do, especially with healthcare being um, one of the most attacked industries to date. So, of course, you know, making sure that we have all of our controls in place and continue to express our due diligence when it comes to protecting our patient data, as well as any other uh, university data. In addition to that, you know, I think we just as much as any other uh, health system has been impacted by COVID over the last few years. And so we're really, as we look towards the future and what we hope to achieve strategically, we're looking at ways that we can do do more with less, right? So looking at the bloat and seeing if there's an opportunity to rationalize some of the less used um, tech stacks. Staffing is also um, a huge point of focus for us. Again, um, just like everybody else, we've been impacted um, by the great resignation or quiet quitting or whatever you want to call it, whatever the buzzword is of the day. 
But, you know, also it's just because we saw during COVID and, and thereafter, we saw um, salaries just really become inflated in other industries. It was really hard for us as a public institution to remain competitive. And so we lost some quality talent to not even competitors, but other industries as well. And so really focused on retaining those, those folks that we do have and, and continuing to recruit talent uh, is also top of mind. And then we actually have a new dean here. Um, so Dr. Claudia Lucinetti, she joined us um, after not having a dean for about 14 months, 15 months. So she comes to us from the Mayo Clinic where she had spent her entire career um, neurologist by background. She serves as the Dean of the Medical School and then VP of Medical Affairs for the uh, University of Texas, Austin as a whole. Um, so really as a technology leader, you know, I'm really kind of working with her to understand what her vision and strategy is for the medical school and kind of be a partner um, with her lock and step to ensure that technology continues to be an enabler in that vision. Yeah, that's interesting. That time period without a dean and then now having to transition to that, I'm sure has been an adjustment, but certainly seems like it's a benefit to have that relationship. Well, and I should clarify, we did have one of our department chairs of women's health, Dr. George McCombs, who stepped into that uh, dean role on an interim basis and did a fantastic job. But as you can imagine, right, you know, you have a limited ability to really uh, drive change when you're in a on a role on an interim basis. And so, you know, he did a fantastic job of kind of continuing to move the organization forward and business as usual, so to speak. But yes, there's definitely a shift, if you will, and, you know, from having an interim dean to a permanent dean. And, uh, you know, she's fantastic. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know her and work with her. And, you know, I think she's going to bring some renewed energy to the medical school and to UT Health Austin as we kind of look forward to what's next. Yeah. Yeah. And having the medical school, being that academic institution, I would think comes with uh, challenges, but also opportunities from your perspective. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I've spent my entire career in healthcare, um, healthcare IT, and I've done a number of different roles from the consulting with my consulting days with Cerner to moving to the provider side and, and managing a team of, for clinical applications and then cybersecurity and infrastructure. Um, so I've kind of run the gambit, if you will, um, in terms of all of the things within uh, healthcare IT. But joining a medical school or academic medical center, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my career because Again, you have the academic side of things. And so, you know, we are really focused on educating the physicians of the future and, and, you know, everything that goes into that, which has been quite an experience. And, you know, I've certainly learned a lot and really enjoyed that aspect of it. But then we also have research, clinical and non-clinical and sponsored projects and you know, and that's been, um, that was a bit of a learning curve for me, honestly, you know, I had very minimal exposure to the research world prior to joining, but it's been an absolutely amazing experience getting to, to work with some of the brightest minds in the industry and hear about the wonderful things that they're doing and, and the ways that they're hoping to impact medicine as a whole. So that's been fantastic as well. And then of course, you know, clinical operations and supporting, um, you know, our clinical enterprise, that was something that I was very comfortable coming into. And so it's really that medical education and the research area that get threw me a bit of a curveball, but it's been an excellent learning opportunity for me. I've certainly embraced it. And when you did take on this role, what did you kind of do to try to educate yourself or immerse yourself in this different environment where you had, like you said, the med school and research? 
Yeah, you know, so from the beginning, my focus was really just, I had my sights set on just learning, learning as much as I could, talking to Mm -hmm. as many people as I could, and just listening. That is so important that coming into a new organization and a new role, going on that listening tour, just to understand what type of work, you know, our faculty is doing and how that's impacting, you know, maybe the specialty that they practice in or really kind of how that aligns to the mission of the medical school. And so I think that's been the biggest thing for me. And then of course, relationship building as I'm kind of, you know, as I was going on the listening towards really focusing on and how do I build these relationships and understanding the work that these individuals did and how I could be of service to them. So I would say that those two things really helped me prepare um, most efficiently. Of course, there's the normal researching. You may learn something that that's new, right? You're kind of doing your own, you know, research on the side, but I certainly gained more and learn more just by having those conversations and building those relationships and spending time with people, whether it be in the clinic or, you know, it could be in a research lab, but just trying to really understand the work that people are doing and how I could be of, of service to them um, as related to, to technology enablement. Yeah. And one of the pieces I had seen was about Nutri, the, um, yeah, yeah. MD. Mm-hmm. yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? That seems really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So Marissa Burgermeister is the PI on that. Who She's absolutely fantastic, incredibly passionate about really changing the way that physicians or providers prepare or educate their patients when it comes to their nutrition, right? And kind of the impact that that may have on the chronic conditions. And so Uh, It was interesting because I was probably still just in my director of security role when I was approached um, by Marissa and her team to get involved in that. And really my involvement at that state, that early state was really just from a security and privacy perspective, kind of looking at the app, making sure that it met all the necessary controls. Um, However, I had a team of DevOps that was really hands-on in actually building it and developing and testing it. And then we went live recently with the Lone Star Clinic. And you may have seen the posts on LinkedIn, um, but it's just been an amazing opportunity to really get, you know, see the fruits of our labor and actually see it in use by providers. And there are some future phases that we're actively working on um, in hopes that we'll be able to um, roll the app out to other providers in the Austin area and hopefully even beyond that. But there's been so many studies that have shown that, you know, food or nutrition is just as important as, you know, medical treatment, right? So Mm -hmm. I think being able to have ways for the patient and the provider to kind of co-manage their condition um, with nutrition and be able to check in and and communicate, which is what NutriMD is, is just a fantastic addition to all of the other technology and tools that we have available to to help educate our patients. Yeah. And is that something where it can lead to, even besides that specific area of nutrition counseling, but where else can we leverage AI? I mean, I, I would imagine that it can kind of open up the door. You know, it's interesting that you asked that question because I think the possibilities with AI and, and machine learning are really endless, right? They're limitless. And one of the things that I feel like is so exciting about one of the things that came up, good things that came out of the pandemic was people really, during the pandemic, people realized that they had to be be more nimble and kind of adjust and adapt quickly where, you know, healthcare from a technology perspective has 
typically been a laggard compared to other industries. And so being able to work on projects like this and actually seeing them come to fruition and then getting them out in the hands of the people who will actually benefit from the use of these apps, I think is only going to further the desire for the industry as a whole to kind of leverage things. I think the other part of that too is, you know, I mentioned earlier, one of the things that I'm focused on and that everybody in the health industry is struggling with is, you know, the staffing shortage, whether that's uh, yeah. on the clinical side or the technology side. So it's looking at AI as, as a supplementary technology to those staffing shortages. So how do we use AI to automate some of these workflows and, and better utilize the human capital that we have, right? So I think there's a lot of different use cases. Um, you know, I think nutrition is a great one. I know that there's some other projects that are um, kicking off that's recently funded around patients with asthma, right? And how do we ensure that specifically pediatric patients, how do we use AI machine learning to ensure that um, not only the patients have the support that they need, but also their caregivers, right? And so utilizing things like um, automatic refills based on, you know, their usage and, you know, recommending different types of appointments and, and kind of the frequency. And so we'll, I think we'll continue to see uh, innovative uses of that technology throughout 23 and, and even beyond, you know, for the next five to seven years. It's a really exciting time in healthcare. Yeah. And of course, there's the infrastructure, which falls under you. Obviously, you have to have that right foundation in place mm -hmm. to be able to do all this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I'm more fortunate than some of, you know, some of my peers in industry, just because the medical school is really only seven years old and our clinical enterprise is only five years old. So we don't have the depth and breadth of uh, technical debt that a lot of the more well-established institutions have. And so it was interesting coming in. I I joined in December and, you know, shortly after coming in, I, I ended up actually inheriting infrastructure. There was a, a technology project, um, hyper-converged infrastructure that we were uh, implementing for the opening of our ambulatory surgery center. And so, you know, I ended up taking that on and ensuring getting that to, to the goal line in it was great because we didn't have, again, we didn't have that technical debt. And so it was kind of like you were starting fresh. And so, you know, we've been able to continue that and make adjustments. We're certainly more nimble than other institutions, but it's still, you know, at the end of the day, it's still infrastructure. I am happy to say, though, I think one thing that sets us apart from some of our, our peers in industry is, again, because we are new, a lot of our initial infrastructure and things, upgrades as we've upgraded throughout the years have really been cloud-centric. So we don't have have a lot of physical devices or endpoints in a data center, right? We have some, but most of our stuff is cloud, which as you may know, it allows you to be more agile and nimble. You can scale up, you can scale down. And so it gives us a lot more flexibility. Yeah, for sure. And, and not having to go through the process a lot of organizations are, which is, you know, migrating to yeah. the cloud. Yeah, the life cycle replacement, the migrations, you know, all of that is, it's very costly to run a data center, you know, and I think as more services shift to the cloud and more vendors offer infrastructure as a service, uh, platforms as a service, uh, you know, software as a service, we see all of these as a service offerings, we're going to, over the next five to seven years, we're going to see a significant decrease in the actual physical endpoints on-prem. Yeah, and so was the fact that the organization is newer? Is that something that appealed to you about coming here? 
Yeah, actually, the the role that I was at prior to joining Domed was actually great. The organization that I worked at um, was fantastic. I really enjoyed the leadership there and the team there. And I was actually very happy. And so to say I wasn't really looking, you know, is always makes it better, right? You know, I kind of, through a mutual colleague of mine, my predecessor, a mutual colleague of ours, you know, she kind of approached me and said, hey, I have this really amazing opportunity for you to go to UT Austin. Um, they, they have a brand new med school. And I'd always wanted to, you know, at some point in my career, kind of transition to that AMC and just have that experience as what I call self-designated perpetual learner. I just thought it would be an amazing opportunity to be in this environment. And so, yeah, that that certainly was, you know, one of the, the major selling points for me to make the transition and relocate my entire family to, to Central Texas, you know, was just the fact that obviously UT Austin has a stellar reputation as a university, a public university. You know, I think it's, gosh, for the last several years been in, you know, the top 10, top 20 of public universities in the United States. And so, you know, that coupled with just the opportunity to be a part of something new and kind of leave my thumbprint, if you will, on the university as we continue to grow and scale was really what uh, what drew me here. Yeah, and there's definitely that reputation for being innovative. And I had spoken with Aaron Meary a couple of times during COVID. And one of the topics was the 3D printer and how they were yep. able to put out something like that so quickly. And yeah, in fact, I was actually lock and step with him when we were doing that 3D printing the masks and stuff. Where where else are you going to get an opportunity to say, because you have all of this innovative institution with all these resources, where else are you going to be able to assemble a team basically overnight and say, okay, guys, you know, there's a mass shortage. What can we do to solve that? Or at least try to solve it, right? And so that was a very, very fun project to get involved with. You know, I can remember still crazy time, but you know, we're we're in the medical school in a big auditorium and doing, you know, facial scans and trying to fit the different masks and design and stuff. And so it was just a really amazing experience to be a part of. Yeah. And you talked about staffing and how difficult it is, especially when you're competing, not with just healthcare, but other industries. And can that be kind of a position as an advantage, just the fact that you are doing these innovative initiatives? Yeah, I do. You know, I think that is vanished for us. However, I will say, you know, over past couple of years, you've seen, it's been reported in the news, right? It's all over. There's been so many tech companies that have moved their headquarters here to Austin. So, you know, yeah. we have Oracle, we have Tesla, Gigafactory, we have Google, Facebook, IBM's building a, a new microchip facility. So we have all of these big names with big budgets, right? And so yeah. while you do kind of sell the fact that we are an innovative institution and there's a lot of opportunities here, you know, we are competing in a way that we never have had to um, previously with all of these um, other tech companies moving here. At what point, certainly before I moved here, you know, UT was the premier employer in Austin, right? You, you basically, if you were in tech, it was basically UT yeah. or it was Dell, right? Because Dell Right. And uh, it's been interesting to, to kind of watch the shift. But, you know, one thing that I've, I've certainly recognized is the people who want to come to work for Dell Med, it's, it's usually because they're inspired by what we're doing here and they want to be a part of that, or they just have a passion to help people, both of which, you know, are things that are typically um, people can align to. And so, it's a delicate balance, I'll say, because you you have on one hand, you have kind of this carrot dangling where they're offering these really amazing uh, compensation packages that are far beyond what a public institution can offer. On the other hand, we have the innovation, the resources, and, you know, not just Del Med, but you can go um, collaborate 
with other schools across campus, right? We have TAC, which is like one of the fastest supercomputers in the world. So there are a lot of things to draw folks in, but I think at the end of the day, people have to be really aligned um, with the mission and the vision of the organization. Right, right. Yeah, that's a huge advantage in itself that you're about patient care and Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's why I've always stayed in healthcare. You know, I've had other opportunities to go outside of it and, you know, and I consider it. And then at the end of the day, it's just, I don't feel, I, I know I will not be nearly as fulfilled in those other industries as I am knowing that I'm actually doing something that will have a positive impact on the community we serve. Yeah. And one of the areas I want to just talk about was when you were presenting at Chime, and I presented a few times, but with the CIO's past, present, and future, the topic came up about staffing and leadership and how that how that has changed and this need now to really make sure that you're you're checking in with your people and then making sure that they're engaged. And it, it's a direction that people may not have seen the CIO role going necessarily in years past. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, as I've come up and through leadership and I've held various uh, leadership roles throughout my career, you know, one of the things that's always been near and dear to my heart, and it was really some advice that somebody gave me early on was to people first, and also for me to become the leader that I needed when I was kind of younger in my career. And so, you know, for me, it's been such a challenging time, you know, the past few years, you know, people have had their own personal struggles. I've had my own medical challenges as well. And so, you know, I think, at the end of the day, the work is going to be here, um, but our health is not. That is not as always guaranteed, right? So I think it's just yeah. so important to just make sure, you know, you're checking in on your staff and, and and their well-being. I wear multiple hats here. So I every day from start to end, I'm booked and sometimes double book and triple book, and, and it can be overwhelming. And then that's when you you worry about burnout and things of that sort. So for me, you know, when I'm checking in on my staff, you know, the first thing that I ask them when we're on our one-on-ones, how are you doing? What can I do for you? Is there anything that I can do for you that will make things easier for you? Because we're, we're human, right? And if you're not taking care of the person, then the work's not going to get done. And the work doesn't matter if the person's not well. And so I think just having a bit of empathy and remembering at the end of the day, we're all human, <laughs> right? I think yeah. goes goes a long way. Yeah. And this is something I've noticed more maybe since COVID, but I think that leaders are just more willing to to be vulnerable and even if not talk about their own personal issues, then to at least acknowledge that. And I think that that goes such a long way with people who are who are in the trenches with you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I have several folks in my on my team that are parents, right? And you know, when the mm-hmm. schools were shut down and they're trying to navigate how they're going to balance their work with kids at home and online learning, right? I was experiencing that myself. And so, you know, I think when you take a moment to try and understand where people are coming from or kind of meet them where they are, it really does make a difference, right? And and when you talk about staffing shortages and people leaving, one of the main reasons people leave is because they feel undervalued and underappreciated. You know, so I think taking the time to make those personal connections really does make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And and then for you, somehow you also find time to be on boards and with something like Women in Cybersecurity Austin, is that something that where it's important to you to really try to be a presence out there and get more women involved in this field? 
Absolutely. My first ever cybersecurity role, I had never had a cybersecurity role. I went from um, a clinical applications manager to a director of information security. And I'm very fortunate for the leadership that I had in my previous organization who trusted me enough to, to allow me to, to make that transition. But one of my observations early on, as I started attending um, cybersecurity conferences was the lack of female presence and even furthermore, the lack of female women of color. And so as I became more knowledgeable and more experienced in the industry or in in cybersecurity, one of the things that I recognized was just that there needed to be more of a voice to get others involved. And so you know, my position or my board seat, um, Women in Cybersecurity, the Austin chapter is relatively new, but I'm super excited to be a part of that and help raise awareness um, to the fact that it's an industry that women can excel in. And, um, you know, I'm also very passionate about, as we talk about leadership and, and staffing and our next gen, it's really what's possible. I kind of stumbled into healthcare IT by happenstance, and I've had an incredibly uh, successful career as a result of it. Uh, But I don't know that people know that, right? So our younger generation, we're talking about middle school, high school, you know, it's not something that's necessarily as prevalent as some of the more mainstream career tracks, like being a nurse or a doctor or lawyer um, or marketing and things of that sort. So part of my involvement there, especially as the chair of of education is to really spread awareness. So how do we go into middle schools and high schools and, and educate our children on, hey, here are some options, you know, have you ever thought about information security and this is what it looks like. But even beyond that, it's, you know, when we talk about education, it's working with school districts to to make sure that that is part of a curriculum because it's, you know, the more connected we get, the more important cybersecurity is is going to be. And for the longest time, people, when they thought about cybersecurity, they really focused on the financial industry, but it's prevalent throughout all industries and everything we do, because there's no day that anybody um, goes without connecting to Wi-Fi, using a cell phone, using a laptop, everything we do has a digital component to it. Therefore, everything we do has a cybersecurity component to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I really liked what you said about helping people to learn that these possibilities are out there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I could certainly talk to you a little longer, but um, <laughs> I know we're up on time, but thank you so much. And I really yeah. hope that we get to speak again. Yeah, absolutely. Great to chat with you, Kate. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.